Happy New Year, and welcome to Board Game Binge, the place where we bring you bite-sized, bingeable board game content across the industry. I'm your host, James Staley, and in this episode, we're chatting with Aiden Lowther, co-founder and designer of Dranda Games. Dranda Games has published four titles in this past few years, and soon we'll be launching Explorers of Navoria on Kickstarter. Aiden, welcome to the bench. How are you doing, sir? Yeah, good. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Oh, it is great to have you. Gosh, uh, you know, we've got a mutual friend, uh, Stefan uh, Godot, and uh, I always get excited when he sends people my way because it's like, ah, oh, here's yet another amazing title that's going to be coming down the pipe that I can get excited about and our viewers can get excited about as well. We're going to get into it. Um, but first, I, I think uh, kind of like the elephant in the room for me is is that you're a fairly young company. How many years have you guys been going? Oh, yeah. Well, it was, I think 2017 we started. Like We started in a friend's, uh, friend's flat and, or apartment. Uh, uh, and we were just like, one day we were just like, we can design games. Let's start designing games. <laughs> <laughs> Not knowing what this was going to lead to. And uh, yeah, I think two years later, we launched a Kickstarter. And uh, four years after that, we're here. So yeah, six, six, six years. Coming That's up like six a years. blink of the eye in, uh, in like this it. industry. It is nothing. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And so the first game you launched, was that, uh, was it the Solar Sphere or something like that? Was it? Solar Storm was the first one. Solar, Solar Storm, Sphere okay. Was the second one, yeah. So, yeah. And Solar, what was that game about? Solar Storm is about uh, your crew on a spaceship far too close to the sun uh, and you're being hit by some solar flares. So, uh, solar flares knocks out your energy core, your big battery in the center of the ship. And you have to go around the ship and get all the energy that's left over in all the other rooms and send it back to the energy core so you can fly away from the big burning ball of fire in the sky. Uh, problem is you're still in a solar storm. It's going to keep taking damage. Uh, and if you don't repair the ship in time, the ship blows up and that's the end of the game. So yeah, it's a very tense 45 minutes, but kind of lightweight. So it's, yeah, it was a good first game did as well now was the first one you published was that the first game you actually designed i think it may have been like the third second or third oh really yeah and why that one why did you choose that one to go first because it was simpler than the other mm -hmm. ones that i designed I, I was one of these designers that threw everything in a box i'd spend a month two months making a prototype and then and then i test it and find out it lasts four hours and it's not very fun uh, so uh, with this one, we when we started, uh, we had, uh, I don't know if you know the Minton uh, competitions, yep. they do on Board Game Geek. Yeah, yep. so uh, we ha uh, we saw that and we were like, oh, well, let's, let's try and do that. So a couple of us designed some games uh, and mine didn't quite fit in a Minton, uh, but it was small enough that constraint allowed me to really hone in on just a, a few mechanisms. Uh, so yeah, I, uh, I honed in on that for a year. Uh, and then we were getting a lot of good feedback at playtest events going, I'll buy this now. Do you have a prototype that I can just yeah. buy now? I don't need the art. And we're like, okay, we need to put some money into this. <laughs> so yeah, I uh, put, I didn't have many savings, but I put all my savings into this and I was like, right, I'm going to make this work. I'm, uh, this is going to be my job and not realizing that once you publish a game, your job isn't designing games. It's doing a lot of emails. <laughs> Yeah, 
Well, it's a business, it, so. right? You're, yeah, you're literally, yeah. you go from designer to running a business, right? And yeah. that's, and that's, that's a transition that things. I don't know if everyone who wants to get into game design fully appreciates, right? Yeah. Like they see kind of that big number on Kickstarter and say, oh, imagine if I, you know, instead of licensing, what if I could just go after that and that would be all mine. But, yeah. you know, there there's a lot of work involved. So and, work. Uh, you know, the, the launching part is, that's the hard part, in my opinion. You know, that that's where all the work and all the business acumen comes in. And, and quite frankly, where most of the learning curve is for a lot of people. Yeah. Who have no idea yeah. what they're getting into, right? Well, we uh, we were quite lucky. Um, the, so Simon, the other half of Dranda Games, uh, he volunteered for a company called Alley Cat Games. I think you've had mm. them on the show before. Yeah, we've been on, yeah they've been on the show as yeah. well, yeah. Uh, so he volunteered for them for a little while to learn how to do this. Uh, and then Zazar liked him so much that he hired him. And it, Simon was actually Alley Cat Games' first member of staff uh, after Zazar. Wow. Um, so we learned a lot from Zazar. Zazar like, mentored us. Yeah, and how to do this. Uh, so we kind of learned from some of his mistakes because he taught us, uh, which was worth it. It was a, it, it gave us a big foot in the door. Uh, so we were very lucky in that respect. It's amazing, you know, the number of times I'll talk to someone who's kind of getting into into the industry, um, where this this is definitely, I think, the path that most people who are successful on their first run, right? Because there's a classic way of doing Kickstarters where you, you fail a whole bunch of times trying to learn and then you finally, it finally clicks. Right. But I see more and more people do well on their first run um, where they get a lot of advisors, right. And yes. they talk to a lot of people and they interview a lot of people and they just try to absorb all those learnings. And quite frankly, as you said, the mistakes, right. And yeah. if you can learn from someone else's mistakes, then you don't have to do that. You don't have to have that mistake yourself. Right. Exactly. And I, I think it's kind of that coming at it from a humble standpoint that in, in leave yourself open to that, where you can actually, you know, get those learnings. Um, we are also in one of the only industries that is very giving mm. in terms of paying it forward. And um, there's very rarely you'll come across uh, a game publisher or designer or anyone in the industry who isn't super generous with their time and wanting to kind of, you know, see you be successful. And that's, I think, very unique to this particular industry. You don't see that in a lot of industries. I know Chandler Copenhaver, I always quote him uh, from a backer kid, he calls it coopetition, right? Where you're all yeah. technically competing in the same industry, but everybody's cooperating because they want kind of that, the, you know, the rising seas, um, raise all boats, right? And taking that kind of mentality towards it. Um, what were you doing for your day? Were, like, what was your day job uh, prior to getting into this? This is a rather new endeavor for you, right? Yeah, yeah, it was. Uh, so I, I started, at the time I was teaching. Um, so I, I trained to be a sociology teacher. Uh, wow. And, yeah, uh, and I did that for a few months, maybe. And I thought, this is hard. <laughs> this is, I just wanted to talk about sociology. <laughs> like, you want me to do all these books and planning? Uh, so yeah. I, quite quickly stopped doing that and became a cover teacher at a naughty boy school uh, and that was a lot easier like you had a few things thrown at you but it was a lot easier uh, and they actually gave me quite a bit of time and so I did that I really enjoyed that actually uh, but I got a lot of time when everyone left when all the kids went home I still had like an hour a day to do my paperwork and as a cover teacher, I didn't have much paperwork. Mm -hmm. So it meant I could do this on the side a little bit and just at half an hour a day, do this and do a bit of game design and 
uh, get everything ready for the weekend, uh, which really helped. So, uh, yeah, that's what I was doing before. I was mainly a cover teacher for the last three I like this years. thought of, you know, just doing, you know, 30 minutes a day. Yeah. And I think, I think that's great because, yeah. you know, often these projects can be overwhelming, right? We're going to get into your new game in a second. And I mean, and I'm going to show a preview of that page for people. It'll be a sneak peek. It's not public yet. So, you know, bear with us uh, to the audience. Yeah. This is this is going to be a draft I'm going to show. But it's quite robust what you guys put together. And like, I don't think when I go through it, I know how much work is involved in that, right? So I'm scrolling. I'm like, holy smokes, these guys pumped a lot of time into this. And when you kind of have that huge elephant, you know, it's that classic, you know, you got to eat an elephant one bite at a time, right? And it's kind of like you're saying, it's just 30 minutes a day. Just do one thing a day towards your game. It doesn't have to be a lot. And if you're getting into either writer's block or or whatever, just do one thing and you will find that you'll start getting into that creative flow. And these things will then start, you know, that that 30 minutes one day will just turn into like three hours and you don't even realize yeah, it. You just it you know, blink and that time's gone. Right. So yeah. Um, so that is that that is. I mean, it's cool. You're kind of, I'm looking at all the boxes. I can now put two and two <laughs> yeah. together here on, you know, how you, you came at this. You guys have experience working with another publisher. Uh, you have that experience on your team. You started small uh, on your first game to, to kind of make sure that uh, you did it right, right? And it was manageable, which is also a great strategy yeah. for people who are looking at doing this long term. And now you've transitioned from kind of designer publisher into publisher licensor. Is that kind of a fair way to describe it? Yeah, so I mean, we still try and design our own games, but it's been a while because it, it takes yeah. a lot of time. Um, it does, and so it's so yeah. We did Solar Storm, and then after that, we did Solar Sphere, which was me and Simon, and we had Johnny Pack helpers. Oh, Johnny like, Pack, he's been on the yeah, podcast yeah. as well. No kidding. Okay, yeah, he, he came on and he did the development for that, and he did the expansion for it. Um, and yeah, he's he's solid. Um, and then after that, Johnny introduced us to um, Seth Jaffe uh, and we got either trains yep. uh, and so that made us more of a publisher more than a publisher designer uh, and again Simon had contacts with Matthew Dunstan so we managed to get Pioneer Rails for uh, for our following game and then we just happened well Simon happened to be walking through Essen and he saw Explorers of Navoria on a table um, very briefly at a press preview uh, and it they just they were just packing it away, so they only had it out for an hour or so. Uh, they got all the contact details, and it, they didn't show it at the show at all after that. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, and it, this is our first game that we've localized, so it's not it's not something where like we we were aiming to do. We weren't aiming to localize other games. We were looking at just publishing games and occasionally designing and publishing games. But as soon as, as soon as we saw this one, then we, then we played it, and it took us three months to get the game. Yeah, uh, to be able to play it and then translate it all from Chinese into English. So this Essen like just... a year ago then, not this most recent Essen then, is it? Yeah, a year ago. Yeah. So it's... Wow. Yeah. And for those in the audience who may not know, can you explain the difference uh, between like publishing a title and doing a localization of the title? Yeah, it's uh, the simple bit of it really is that you usually only get one language. So we'll only have the English language for this uh, uh, and the other thing is usually you don't change anything or you change very little and the art is already done so the original publishers either paid for made all the art 
So in this case, uh, Explorers and Navori, the designer, is, is also the artist. So he's done both. Um, and in a localization deal, you don't have to pay for all the art either. So that, that saves you so much time because it's ready. And was this a publishing company that you uh, buddied up with or was it a specific designer? A publishing, well, it, it is a designer, but he's also a publishing company. I he's a one-man like what, show. <laughs> yeah, he's got, I suppose he's like what me and Simon were like, in 2019. Yeah. <laughs> it's our first game, we're self-publishing and he's done the same, but in China. Amazing. Yeah. So this uh, Explorers of Navoria, can you uh, explain kind of what the story is about? So I guess off the top, this is like a worker placement uh, tableau builder, I guess. Is that, is that fair yeah, to say? Yeah, yeah. So the, the backstory is uh, there are these, there's this land called Navoria and uh, these new continents have arisen from the oceans uh, and you have set out to explore these new lands and a few different parties have set out to explore these new lands and you're competing with other people to be the person who's known as being the explorer of Navoria. Uh, and what, what you do is there are some cards and you have these action tokens in a bag and you'll pull out action tokens and you'll choose one. And whichever color you choose, that's the row of cards you get to pick from. And each row of cards have got different powers. So uh, one will get you uh, points for set collection. One will get you points for being able to explore more. Uh, some let you get resources. Some let you build huts on the Explorer tracks so you can get further along the tracks quicker. And they do all sorts of things like that. Uh, but the really th fun thing that I like about this game is once everyone's done that, you'll put all these action tokens out then in reverse player order, whichever action tokens everybody has selected, you get to take one of them and use it as a worker on the worker board. Mm. So if everyone's chosen yellow actions, the yellow actions become really weak. Whereas if only one person has chosen a blue action, there's going to be one really strong blue action. And you'd be like, oh, if I don't take that, someone, that's going to be gone by the time it's my next turn. So it's a really co cool combination of we're using action tokens to build our tableau but the, whatever action tokens we choose become our workers for the second round and then the first let me just say the artwork on this game is uh quite impressive yeah <laughs> to yeah. say the least it very much has this kind of um like i was saying just before we went on air this kind of critter kitchen flame crafty kind of vibe to it uh which did really really well on this most recent kickstarter um and then obviously you guys have some pretty impressive who did your photography did you guys do that or did the original uh, publisher do that from uh, matt did the photography from uh board game shots if you know board game shot board game shots well uh shout out to matt uh yeah his photography is awesome I, mean, I know, right? <laughs> it, it is it is really well done and i was saying this up before we went on air as well is that you know, when I look at a typical game and all the boxes, I would kind of check off to say, you know, is this thing kind of poised? You never know, right? It depends on, you know, timing and kind of the environment at that the time, other games that are running. But is this poised to be a successful game? Uh, I think this is poised to be a very successful game. Like the way um, you have it kind of set up with the artwork, with the photography, uh, as I said, your page is super robust. There's so much information on your page. Uh, you guys are offering a deluxe um, 
I guess there's there's a regular game, there's the deluxe, and then there's an expansion as well. Is it is my understanding correct? Uh, so it's it's the regular game, and then there's the expansion, and then uh, there's a play mat, like this giant play mat as well. So all the meeples and all that, all those printed, every all that comes in the regular oh, base game. game. Oh yeah. wow! Yeah, wow. <laughs> yeah. It's 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 deluxified from the start. Like, yeah, I, I don't even have a copy with me uh, at the moment. But yeah, it's the, okay. The I'm screen sharing here, and I'm just like, <laughs> wow. Even the first graphic, which I missed the first time I saw this, is actually animated. Just subtly, though, <laughs> the guy's blinking, and his hair has kind of got this kind of uh, blue flame coming off the back. Is like, that is so cool. Uh, that's obviously an animated GIF, but it is so seamlessly kind of blended in your page. You would just scrolling over. I would have assumed that's a JPEG until I had to kind of do a double take, which is uh, which is kind of crazy. Um, the length of time to play. So, if four. How many players does this play up to first? I guess it looks like two to four. Yeah, in the base game, it's two to four. Uh, the expansion goes up to six, or how's the expansion? The expansion go? goes up to five. It goes. Okay. It goes one to five with the expansion because the solo mode is heavily integrated into the expansion. You can't play the solo mode without the expansion. Got it. And then 20 minutes of players you're looking at. So it's like roughly like an hour, hour and a half. Is that kind yeah, of yeah. the general the general gist? Yeah. So in signing like a localization deal, I don't know if, if you could talk much about it, but what did what were some of the learnings that you got just ran into doing that versus kind of a traditional publishing and signing on designer? Was there anything there where you're like, whoa, this is something I wasn't expecting? Or is there any kind of learning there? Um so we've been on the other side of the table a few times uh, where we've localized our games into different languages. Yeah. Um, being on this side, it was, it was a bit different, um, mainly because we were going for an agent. So the original designer and publisher only speaks Chinese and I only speak English. So <laughs> yeah. we had to go through an agent. Uh, so you had this third party thing going back and forth. Uh, so that, that, was, that was a bit different. We've not done that before. Can you give a shout out to your third party? Who who did you use? Uh, oh, I've, I've, was it MOB or one of these names, guys? Or? No, it's not MOB. It's Jim. Let me give me a second, uh, and I will find what his company is called. And with this agent that you were using, um, was the did the Chinese company bring them forward, or is this someone that you knew, or how did? Yeah, that they they were work? they were already signed up with with them, so uh, it was. So Simon approached them at Essen, Essen okay, uh, and it was it was the agent that was there that was showing everything off anyway. Got uh, it. It is Mister De- Mister Dexker. Dexker, yeah. and was there any kind of like a bidding war? How did that kind of work? Was like no, because we were the only ones that saw it. So interesting. Uh, yeah, usually at a press preview, the publisher is showing their games off to the press. Yeah, and I, think I just said to Simon at the moment at the times like I'm fine by myself. You go for a walk, see what you see, <laughs> and yeah. So he was one of the publishers walking around and just happened to. That's kind of like one of these serendipitous situations, right? When it's like landing on a like a nugget like this that is yeah obviously uh, well developed, well produced. Uh, the designer is also like the publishers, the designer of the game, also the the artist. Uh, having finding a relationship like this is is not is this it, doesn't come along every day, <laughs> right? No. This is yeah, this not. is kind of like a needle in a haystack, right? So, yeah. did you guys feel a little bit of holy cow? We kind of lucked out on this one at all. Was there yes. that kind of emotion around yeah, it? I, th- I think so. I think so. It was uh, it was very much like 
we need to play this game to make sure it's good. And as soon as it, we played it, we played it like three or four times. Like, this, is, this is a good game. Let's just, let's just sign this as quick as yeah. possible. Um, and even then, like, because the contract had to be in English and in Chinese and making sure that they both said the same thing, which is hard when neither of you speak the other language. Um, yeah. But yeah, it was, it was a lot of back and forths. A lot of back and forth. And I think I looked at my emails a minute ago. And I think we had some like 64 in one chain of emails. <laughs> wow. And did you play yeah. it like, were you able to play it there on the spot or did they send you a copy afterwards or how did that work? Uh, no, we, we, they sent us a copy afterwards. Uh, so they sent us a copy, I think, January last year. Yeah. So this time last year. Uh, and then with the expansion, we couldn't get hold of that whatsoever. I played that at Essen for the first time. I played it wrong. <laughs> I remember playing it wrong. This is broken. <laughs> this doesn't make any sense. Uh, and then reread the rules. Oh no, that, that's my fault. <laughs> yeah, I'm notorious. There, Google Translate wrong. on my phone, trying to <laughs> trying to figure it out. Um, so yeah, no, we've got a copy of that now, but we've only just got a copy of that, so we haven't been able to send that to reviewers. Like we've had one copy for the last two months, and it's. Anyone who knows anything about sending review copies out, having one copy two months before isn't isn't enough time for a reviewer to do a good work. Okay. No, it's not. It's not ideal at all. Um, and then, did, did they launch on like was I think it's Modian is the Chinese version of Kickstarter. Like, did they launch on the Chinese Kickstarter or is this a straight to retail or how did they no, launch this in their market? They did. They did launch on a crowdfunding in in China. I'm not sure what the platform. There's like called. three or four of them. Yeah. Yeah, uh, but I know they they launched on that. Uh, and I know that they plan on launching a reprint of it at some point this year, but I'm, I'm not sure when. Uh, and did you have access like as part of that kind of, for lack of a better word, pitch to you as they're kind of saying, here's, you know, here's a game that we had in China. Um, were you able to see the data? Were you able to say, wow, like this is actually did quite well in, in the local market too. Like, was there any of that kind of information shared with you guys at all? Or No, not really. I, I remember I went looking for it and I found it uh, and saw it had some like 500 backers, uh, which for China is good. Like their crowdfunding for board yeah. games isn't usually very big. Yeah. So yeah, it, that was that was a good amount for China, which always surprises me how little people in China are into board games. But but it's growing, right? Like that market is is, yeah. is growing. The government has now got behind it, right? So there's a lot of subsidized, a lot of subsidies, period, in uh, from the government in China in the board game industry. So I think they recognize it as an emerging market. Uh, there's a lot more board game cafes, board game events that are springing up as well, yeah. Uh, yeah. local like mini conventions and so forth. So, you know, I think that kind of like the movie industry, uh, which was predominantly North American and European for many many years. Uh, now, if you look at a global box office, I mean, if you're not including the numbers from domestic China, I mean, you're, yeah. I mean, that, that will carry many movies, right? Yeah. And I see the board game industry probably following a similar path where it's been predominantly North America and uh, in Europe. And uh, now China starting to emerge. And I could see this easily, you know, 10 years from now that, you know, being half the market, just purely based on numbers of the population and, you know, people getting into gaming and so forth, all the manufacturing is there. Not because it's necessarily cheaper, but that's where all the technology, the development, and the the progress has been. Quite frankly, has been in China in the board game industry. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Even if you wanted to make a game 
in North America, like in the States and Canada where I'm located, or even like, say, I think Spain's guys starting to kind of emerge uh, from on the manufacturing side. Um, but still like very, very few players where you literally have uh, entire, um, you know, industrial sections dedicated to board games in, in yeah. China where, you know, this guy's making the meeples, the guy down the street's making cards, this guy over here's making boxes and they're all within a very uh, close distance to each other. So they're working off each other to, you know, to produce these very high quality games. Um, it's kind of exciting to, to, to see kind of this thing emerge. Uh, has this kind of wet your beak, so to speak now? Are you starting to look at other games in China to say <laughs> yeah. like... You know, yeah. man, we got this gem. Maybe there's others out there that we could uh, potentially take. Or yeah, yeah, I think we had uh, seven, se- seven uh, games given to us in uh, Essen to look at to localize. Like, like when we were like, oh, we can uh, we can look into this. Actually, this is a this yeah. is a good thing to do. <laughs> uh, but I think it's harder though for English speaking companies uh, because I, I, don't, I, I think a lot of other companies. I've already set up in like places like America, yeah, uh, and they already learned quickly that they need to translate their games into English because that's the biggest board game market. So I think yeah. they, for for people like us, we're a bit on the back foot because we don't speak any other languages and we don't know how to get into other other markets like German, for instance. So uh, yeah, it, it is tough, right? Like uh, yeah. I was recently at Essen this past year, and I found that. Um, First of all, it's overwhelming. Like there's just like, right. <laughs> a sea of people, a sea of board game companies. And it's trying to kind of navigate that uh, as an exhibitor. So getting away from your booth, as you know, is very tough as well, right? Like it's, the, yeah, that place is just packed. Uh, so obviously you don't want to be there by yourself. You like to have a couple of people with you so you can escape from your booth and, and kind of go around and, and check different things out. But what would be the advice you would give to people in that case of who are maybe looking for other titles and, and at an event like this, is it literally going booth to booth and, and kind of introducing yourself? Is there people coming to your booth saying, Hey, I got a game I want you to check out or how does that dynamic work? And what would you advise people who are maybe uh, taking the trip to us in, in, you know, years to come? Yeah, it's um, uh, I think I went on uh just went on board game geek really uh whenever i had a spare five minutes flick through and just to see if there was anything that interests my well piqued my interest uh, and if there was then i emailed them um but also we've got a lot of relationships we've already built yeah. over the last five six years so people who have localized our games who reach out to us say oh uh, i saw this game uh, i'd be interested in it or can we meet at essen to talk about localizing your games i just emailed back saying yeah sure we can talk about localizing our games and also if you have anything that you would like localized in english i'd like to talk about those as well um, and i think it's just it's just relationship building really yeah oh it's so key and do you see it being um like kickstarters for you is that is that kind of the 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 path to monetization or do you have you pushed more to kind of distributors and retail and, and gone that direction? We try and push out to retail and distributors as much as we can. Yeah. Uh, because it's always best to have more than one avenue of income, right? Uh, but unfortunately, uh, <laughs> we have to use Kickstarter. Uh, yeah. I, I say it unfortunately because it would be lovely just to say, here's our new game. Feel free to buy it whenever you like. And that gets rid of all uh, a, a lot of. 
a lot of prep work. Like you're looking at the Kickstarter page. Simon's been working on that for two months solid. Yeah. Uh, uh, that's where it would be nice if we could just say, here's a game. But unfortunately, as a small company, you can't afford to do that. Uh, you can't afford to take a gamble on saying, right, we need 2,000, we need 10,000 copies, and then only selling a fraction of those. Uh, and on the flip side of that, you don't want to only print 2,000 copies or 10,000 copies and then realize, oh, we needed 15,000 copies. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, it's... Uh, but for us, it's, it, we can't we can't not use Kickstarter at the moment. We're too small to do it. Simon's only just gone full-time. Uh, I've only just gone up to four days a week for, for Dranda Games. It's a small company. We don't have the money to not... to take those gambles, so... Well, certainly it's a risk mitigation, right? Like it is. It's, it's, it is yeah. And for a lot of companies, I know they've kind of turned into this kind of like a pre-order system, Yeah. which there's nothing wrong with that in my mind. I think no, as long as you're adding mean. additional value for, um, you know, for your backers in some manner to give them a reason why they would, you know, back on Kickstarter versus just waiting for it to show up at retail. Um, but if you're giving that value, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I look at it as, um, you know, many of these probably even most, I would say, of these games would never see the light of day if it wasn't for yeah. Kickstarter and this ability to kind of gauge the audience, get the upfront interest, get the upfront cash so that you can actually go make the inventory in the first place. Not a lot of people are just sitting with, you know, that kind of money in the bank, um, exactly, yeah. you know, willing to just, you know, dump into a board game, you know, getting yeah. this kind of pre-order system uh, is a very efficient way for a small publisher to, uh, really make a go of this, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, when you're looking at funding goals of being anywhere between ten and thirty grand, how else are you going to put that money up? Like that's uh, yeah. Sometimes, sometimes that's a year salary, right? That's, oh uh, yeah. That you're going, we're just going to take a gamble on. You can't. You've got to use Kickstarter, and even like the big companies that are using it, I can see why you don't want to. You don't want to go. Oh, we our last game made thirty thousand copies. Let's just print thirty thousand copies in the next one, and then they only get twelve thousand copies yeah. on Kickstarter. So why? You can't take that risk. It's not. It's not. It's not, not only that, but any the, business. You've got this kind of recency effect too, right? Where people are constantly looking for what's the newest game. Yes. And uh, titles age very quickly in this industry. Yeah, uh, too quickly, I would say. Uh, so there, there. For most, there isn't a second print run, right? You get your one print run, then you move on to the next game and the next thing you're going to do. Most companies uh, or most publishers, I would say, in this industry are one to three people, right? Like yeah. they're they're all small. Yeah. A lot of them are doing them as side hustles. I would say almost most of them would do them as a side hustle, right? They have a regular day job and this is something they're doing on the side. And the dream is to get so big that you can go off and just do that as your full-time job. But still, it's yeah. not like a giant yeah. company you're building. It's still one to three people, right? But doing that as, as a full-time job and kind of riding the wave while it's still here. So... What's the next kind of thing for you guys? So after this, I'm sure as a publisher, you're having to plan two, three, four games out. Can you talk about what's coming next and, and, and yeah. what that timeline looks like for you? We, we try to have two games like ready at a time. So that we'd have, uh, so when we had uh, uh, either trains, we had uh, Pioneer Rails already signed, art being developed for that. Uh, and we've got the same with Navoris. And Navoris is signed. That's about to go live. Uh, we already have uh, Mutagen uh, mm. by uh, uh, by Alex, who's done fantastic game design, and the Miko's done the art for it. Uh, and we're still we're just finalising that to do later this year. Uh, and we have another game signed, 
uh, for after that as well. So yeah, we you have to plan for for future for future games. If if this was if this was it and we had nothing planned for afterwards, I don't know what we're going to do for the next six to 12 months right yeah so, it's like literally yeah. a year gaps you're constantly kind of getting that next thing going so it's ready to go when this one's done exactly. um, for those who want to follow this so you're going to launch i think you're saying january 8th again the caveat to that is timelines always shift and as james stegmeyer says um there's nothing wrong with um delaying a launch if you're not ready but a whole bunch of things can go wrong if you don't <laughs> so i always kind of give that the grain of salt but right now the target is january 8th for those that want to follow this game how best do they do that aiden uh probably following us on pretty much any social platform will get you to explore the Novoria. it's we've, we've been pushing it quite heavily uh, and you can do that uh, just by searching at dranda games on any social platform um, I'm pretty sure we're on them all. So, no, oh, amazing. I'll yeah. put a link as well in the show notes for those who want to sign up for the Notify Me page. Uh, so that's just they can click that link, go there, sign up, and then they'll be flagged when uh, when this campaign launches. Uh, I want to wish you all the best of this campaign in this coming year. Uh, I can't wait to see where this lands. I think you guys are going to be pleasantly surprised. This, for sure, in my mind, is going to be your largest title. I, I have no doubt about that. I think this is going to do really, really well. And uh, maybe we'll get you back on the podcast when you're ready with the next game. Yeah, that'd be awesome. All right, my friend, you take care. Cheers. Thanks, Dan. This has been an episode of the Board Game Binge Podcast, hosted by James Staley, produced by James Staley and Mike Bruner, with original music by Nick Smith. If you would like to watch these interviews live, simply subscribe to our YouTube channel, Board Game Binge, and you'll get access to live interviews, giveaways, and interesting board game content from across the industry. I can't wait for you to join us. See you next time. Oh,